You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Good morning, everybody. Good job. That was acid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish you hadn't done that, Ryan. I mean, I'm, thank you. Thank you. But my dad is here, and now I'm really scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. Okay, so, um, yeah, good morning again. <laughs> um, a lot of my earliest memories are from attending a small home church in, at my grandparents' house in a little town called Home City, Minnesota. Uh, there was no Sunday school or children's ministry, so us kids would have to sit quietly through uh, a very long time of hymn singing, a session of corporate prayer, um, and a very theologically heavy sermon often given by my dad. <laughs> um, but if we survived that long... The unmistakable sound of coins jingling would revive all of our attention spans because we all knew it was time to recite Bible verses. So the rule was, for every memory verse that you reviewed, you would get five pennies. But if you had a brand new Bible verse, you could get a dollar. So the excitement was real, let me tell you. I think uh, the very first verse I memorized was Jesus wept, (laughs) which, if you know me at all, might explain a little bit about my emotional tendencies. I have brought a Kleenex. (laughs) Um, But the second verse I memorized was God is love, 1 John 4, 8. It was one of the first songs that I learned. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It was the theological foundation of my faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I made a shocking discovery. God likes me. When I came to that realization, I remember feeling silly that it felt so profound Uh, After all, that was one of the first things that I learned about God, that he loved me. It was then that I began to realize that my perception of God's love was nearly exclusively rooted in an intellectual, theoretical belief of God's love, rather than an experiential, deep knowing of his love. One of the pivotal moments that led to this realization was hearing Pastor Ryan say again and again that God is not in a hurry. I began to believe that God was patient. He was patient with me and not anxiously awaiting the day when I would get my life together. After moving halfway across the country and experiencing an answer to prayer so big and so profound that I could not possibly explain it away by coincidence, I began to believe that God was kind. And if anyone can be patient with me and kind to me, despite knowing all my flaws, it must mean that they like me. 
Thus, I was left with the unmistakable realization that God not only loved me because the Bible told me so, but he honestly liked me, too. Can you guys hear me okay? I feel like I'm cutting out. Okay. Is that just me? Cool. All right. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I, so anyway, I came to that realization that God must like me, and I would guess that I'm not the only person in this room who has allowed my perception of God's love to be purely intellectual. In fact, I think most of us in the Western Christian church can relate to some degree. We've, thank you, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> this is what you've opened up now. <laughs> We've been told our whole lives that God loves us, but we rarely feel his love toward us unless mediated through a perfectly coordinated worship event or maybe even a prophetic word during a prayer night if you're one of those super spiritual Christians. So today, I am returning to the basics in 1 John chapter 4. Now, 1 John is a small book in the Bible whose author is not uh, actually confirmed, but is generally believed to be one of Jesus' disciples, John dubbed the disciple Jesus loved, which sort of feels like the youngest going, dad loves me the most. But 1 John and 2nd and 3rd John were written to a community of house churches that John oversaw that had recently gone through some type of crisis. People were leaving the church. There were deceivers or anti-messiahs, as John called them, leading people away from the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. There was tension between the church leaders and conflict between the believers as they struggled to navigate this divisiveness and identify the true believers from the deceivers. Now, in light of all of this conflict and in an effort to encourage and strengthen the believers of these churches, John chose to focus on two big ideas in the book of 1 John. Number one, God is light, and number two, God is love. Now we're going to focus on the second one today, God is love. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 16. Um, or if you'd rather, you can follow along on the screen. Now, the word love appears 46 times in all of 1 John, and over 50% of those mentions can be found in chapter 4 alone. In the passages leading up to our verse for today, John defines love by using Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as a template for the kind of love that God both has for us and expects from us as we are more and more transformed to the character of Jesus. And so in verse 16 of chapter 4, John writes, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Now, there's a lot there that we could unpack, but today I want to focus on the phrase to know and to believe. So the Greek word for believe here is pistuo, which means to think, to be true, and it carries a connotation of intellectual faith. Now, this is the camp that most of us reside in at any given moment. We believe that God loves us on an intellectual, factual, theological basis. It is an intellectual knowing. 
The Greek word for to know here is gnosko, which means to know absolutely in a great variety of applications, to be aware of or to feel. It carries the implication of using one's senses or of knowing for certain by experience. A great example of this is cats. Whether you own cats, hear me out, hear me out. Whether you own cats or have just seen the montage videos, you know that cats love pushing things off of tables, right? They know what's going to happen when they knock that cup off the table. It's going to hit the floor. You know they know because when you say their name, they look you dead in the eye and do it anyway, like the sociopaths they are. <laughs> These cats know gravity. They experience it. They are well-versed in its effects on unsuspecting pups. But they do not have an intellectual understanding of gravity. Now, to be fair, I don't either, but <laughs> we all know gravity to be true because we all experience it beyond a shadow of a doubt. So that's what John means here when he says to know. To know is to experience it as an undeniable truth. It is an experiential knowing. So what John is saying here, to know and to believe the love that God has for us shows us that there are two sides to our perception of God's love to us, an intellectual knowing and an experiential knowing. Which leads me to the big idea for today. God invites us to know his vast love for us, both intellectually and experientially. God invites us to know his vast love for us, both intellectually and experientially. Now, notice the double-sided approach to knowing God's love for us. It's both intellectual and experiential. But here is the problem. Most of us settle for a single-sided approach. As I stated before, most of us go through life without regularly experiencing or feeling God's love for us. We say God loves us, and then we feel shame when we mess up. We say God loves us, but we don't trust him to be kind to us when we are hurting. We say God loves us, but we are fearful of his reaction to our insufficiencies. This single-sided approach to knowing God's love for us negatively impacts our relationship with him, our relationship with ourself, and our relationship with others. This, uh, yeah, okay, moving on. <laughs> When I, was, oh, oh, when I was a young teenager, there was a girl in my friend group who I thought would be a really good candidate to be close friends with. So I spent a significant amount of energy and thought into wanting and trying to build this close friendship with her. But I always got this vibe that, I mean, although she was always pleasant with me, I didn't feel like she really liked me. And that, whether that was true or not, it doesn't matter, that made it impossible to build a close friendship with her. The same goes for our relationship with God. If we feel like he barely tolerates us, whether that's true or not, and spoiler alert, it's not true, it makes it impossible to build a close, meaningful relationship with him because we do not trust that he likes us. We do not trust that he cares. 
our perception of God's love for us can directly affect our relationship with him. It can also directly influence our perception of ourselves. If I feel like God is waiting to condemn me, I will consistently find ways to condemn myself. If I feel like God is unable to like me, I will deem myself unlikable and find it hard to believe that anyone, even myself, could really like me. These beliefs about ourselves only serve to perpetuate the inaccurate view that we have of God and lead us to believe that God is impatient, irritable, or at best apathetic toward us. Furthermore, when we fail to fully know God's love for us, both intellectually and experientially, we are unable to fully pour out his love for others, which is the most fundamental way that we represent God to the world and to each other. Think about it. I would guess that a large portion of us today could point to a specific instance where a person claiming to represent God and his word to us said something incredibly damaging that ultimately shaped our perception of God himself. Whether that was through weaponized or misinterpreted scripture, from spiritual leaders or role models, or a father or a father figure that permanently skewed our definition of what a loving father means, other people play a huge role in how we perceive and interact with God. It goes the other way too. You play a role in how others perceive and interact with God and how they comprehend God's love. And if you do not fully know and comprehend God's love for you, how can you communicate that to others in how you live and speak and act? So the question is, how in the world can we begin to know and to believe the love that God has for us? How can we move from simply an intellectual knowing to an experiential knowing as well? There are three ways today I'm going to be telling you that we can begin to know and to believe God's love for us. Sit with scripture, walk with others, and look for evidence. So let's take a look at this first one, sit with scripture. Now this goes beyond just reading a passage that says God is love and saying, yep, okay, got it, moving on. Right? What this means is sitting with God's word and allowing the spirit of God to impress the truth of it onto your heart. One practical way of doing this is through the practice of Lectio Divina. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this term, Lectio Divina, or divine reading, is a contemplative practice that dates back to the early centuries of the Christian church and later became a monastic practice. Essentially, it looks like sitting in a quiet space and reading a short passage multiple times, shifting your focus slightly each time, and inviting God to speak to you through it. It allows you to slow down and absorb the passage, and it provides space for God to speak to you through his word. If you want more information on that, Pastor Ryan taught a whole series called Positioned for Change in which he dives into the spiritual practice of Lectio Divina in a more detailed manner that I won't take the time to cover today, but it's on our website. Um, so why is sitting with scripture so important? Number one, it's anchored in truth. 
While it's important to experience God in our own personal ways, it is equally as important to ensure that those experiences are rooted in truth. Remember, we want both intellectual and experiential. Anybody can go out into the desert, starve themselves, hallucinate, and claim they had an experience with God, right? <laughs> but that's not what we are after. Scripture is a carefully crafted, divinely inspired tool that God primarily uses to reveal his character to us. The second reason why sitting with scripture is so important is that it's also one of the primary ways in which God speaks to us and meets with us. The more time we spend meditating on God's word, the easier it will be to recognize his voice and to trust his character. So we start by sitting with scripture. The second way we can come to know and to believe God's love for us is to walk with others. God loves to use people to manifest the healing work he is doing in other people. When he created mankind, he placed us over the rest of his creation and gave us a job of caring for it. When Jesus left, he gave us his spirit to work in us and among us and gave us the command to go and make disciples of all peoples and nations. God's grand vision for humanity is a collaborative one. So it is important to surround yourself with people who embody God's love for you. The problem is not all people are equally safe. As I mentioned before, much of our early experiences of God that formed our perception of his character and love for us were mediated through harmful experiences with imperfect and sometimes outright malicious people. However, as Pastor Ryan is always saying, what's hurt in community can only be healed in community. And it's very clear throughout the entire Bible that we were not created to be isolated. So, thanks, Dad. Here are some <laughs> practical ways to come to know and to believe the love that God has for us by walking with others today. Uh, number one is formation groups. Our church has intentionally built an opportunity to grow toward Christ together, and this can be a great way to experience God's love for us in a safe environment through the love of others. And personally, my formation group has been so formational <laughs> in that. Uh, number two is participating at church. We have a built-in time for fellowship and community together at 10 a.m. every Sunday. And I know for a lot of us, including me, it's scary and awkward and unnerving talking to other people, but our mission as a church is to be a safe place for hurting people. And what better way to practice living out that mission than to be a safe place for each other? Because let's be honest, we are all hurting people. Number three is find a spiritual director. A spiritual director is someone who, to help you discern how to develop a deeper relationship with God. This can be a very powerful and, and effective uh, tool, especially for people who really long for a deeper relationship with God but are struggling to let others in. If you want more information, talk to Pastor Ryan. Number four is ask, to, ask God to bring safe people into your life or to bring you to others who are safe. God wants you to have a safe and loving community 
and he can orchestrate the most coincidental meetings imaginable. So if you feel alone or like you're lacking a safe community, start by asking God to provide one for you. And lastly, look for ways to be God's love to those around you. There is nothing more eye-opening and humbling than being a parent to a small child. Thank you. I thought I was a pretty patient person, a pretty easygoing individual, a pretty sweet and loving person until I had a child. And then I realized that, no, I am not patient. In fact, I never knew the meaning of patience before it was stripped from me by this tiny human. I learned so much about God's character as my heavenly father through just living life through the lens of a parent. Now, you don't have to be a parent to do this. We all can learn so much about God's character when we try to live life looking for ways to be God's love to those around us. They say that one of the best ways to learn something is by teaching it. So ask God to help you teach others about his love through how you interact with them. So we've sat with scripture, and we've walked with others, and now the last way we can begin to know God's vast love for us, both intellectually and experientially, is to look for evidence. Have you ever done something nice for someone without prompting? Like maybe you cleaned up your partner's mess, or maybe you mailed a card to somebody or made a meal to share. I remember one time when my older sister was in college, I decided to weed the garden for her. We lived on an old farm and always had a large vegetable garden while I was growing up. But my older sister was the only one of us kids who really has a green thumb. So she had taken it upon herself this year to be the one responsible for the garden. Now, I noticed that she had been a little bit preoccupied with school lately, and the garden had started to get a bit overgrown. So one afternoon, I decided to go out there and weed the entire garden for her. I was so excited. I knew this would be a huge weight off of her shoulders, and I couldn't wait to see how surprised and happy this would make her. I worked for quite a long time, to my recollection, and if I didn't get the whole garden done, it was at least a very large section. And after my sister got home, I waited for her to go out to the garden and see the beautiful transformation I so graciously gave it. I waited, and I waited for days. I waited for her to go out and notice. Finally, she went out to the garden, but by that time, all of the weeds had grown back, and it looked like I hadn't done anything. I was so disheartened, I don't think I helped her weed again that entire year. <laughs> it can be so disheartening when we do something kind for someone and it goes unnoticed. It doesn't mean that what you did wasn't loving. It just means that they're completely oblivious and should maybe check their garden more frequently. <laughs> It's the same with us and God. Just because we don't often see his acts of love doesn't mean they're not there. I'll say that again. Just because we don't often see his acts of love doesn't mean they're not there. 
When we moved to our apartment here in Utah a couple of years ago, it was the first apartment I'd been to without a washer and dryer unit. For over a year, I hauled all our laundry down three flights of stairs across the apartment complex to the laundromat and then all the way back up the stairs. At first, I felt like a pioneer woman with a basket of clothes on my hip, but that feeling quickly disappeared after about two trips up and down those stairs. When I started thinking about trying to potty train Cedric, my boy, the thought of making that laundry trip every day made me so incredibly overwhelmed. I made my husband well aware of the need for a washer and dryer, uh, but we were not in any financial position to buy a new set, so he graciously began scouring all of the cell sites in the area. Months went by. I remember scrubbing poopy pants out in the bathtub and praying, God, I just, I really, really, really want a washer and dryer. Can you please just give it to me? Not the most polite prayer, <laughs> but it was authentic. Within that same week, my husband Ethan found a set at a scratch and dent store. After a couple of days of holding our breath while we arranged a, a time to pick it up and a transportation because we didn't have a truck, Ethan and some wonderful helpers finally hauled a beautiful washer and dryer set up three flights of stairs. As they walked in the door, I remember thinking, wow, you actually gave it to me. It felt like such a small thing for God to care about and listen to, and it still gets me choked up. But it struck me as such an incredible, kind gesture, an unnecessarily kind gesture, that that moment began to shift my perception of what it, of what it meant to be loved by God. Now, it would have been easy to discredit that entire experience by saying, oh, we were bound to find a set sooner or later. Um, or saying, even if I hadn't prayed, we probably would have found a set. And to be honest, I was really tempted to write it off as a coincidence. But James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Cynicism is the kryptonite of faith. As soon as we start explaining away these coincidences and turning a blind eye to moments like these, we start to discredit God's love for us and his acts of goodness in every day of our lives. Besides, even if I hadn't prayed and asked for a washer and dryer, or even if I had and we still didn't have a set, God is worthy of my praise. God is worthy of all our praise and gratitude. There's no such thing as giving him too much credit or thanking him too much over something that we label as just an accident. God gives us good and perfect gifts, whether we notice them or not. So I want to give you three ways today that you can begin to look for evidence of God's love and goodness in your life. Number one is keeping a reflection or a gratitude journal. So much of our lives go by so fast that we don't even have time to process it all. By slowing down and reflecting on our day, 
it gives us an opportunity to notice things that we would have otherwise missed. It's also scientifically proven that the more you draw attention to something, the easier it will be for you to notice it again in the future. Number two, you can adopt a practice of breath prayers. Now, a breath prayer is a simple prayer in which on your inhale, you say a word or phrase, and on the exhale, you say a word or phrase. An example of this would be, Abba, I am loved by you. On your inhale, you can pray Abba or use Father if you'd rather. On your exhale, you pray, I am loved by you. Allow those words to wash over you and flow from your spirit as you sit in God's presence. If you sit with that prayer every day for five minutes this week, I can promise that you will not be unaffected by it. One last example of how you can look for evidence in God's love in your life is through an exercise that I developed with my son Cedric a little over a year ago. I am not always great at facilitating a loving experience for Cedric all of the time, but I do want him to understand at the very least that my love for him is not contingent on my emotions, his actions, or any circumstance. It is an unconditional love. Now, the first time I did this exercise with him, it was so powerful and so moving that I cried, unsurprisingly. <laughs> But that's a story for another time. Basically, here's the exercise. I say, even when I'm crabby, I still love you. Even when you're whining, I still love you. Even when I tell you no, I still love you. I repeat this over and over. Sometimes I use silly things like, even when you fart on me, I still love you. <laughs> and sometimes I bring in specific examples from throughout the day. Cedric loves offering new examples and new circumstances, and he's even started telling me that when I don't listen to him, he still loves me. <laughs> I think we can do the same with God. In the car or in the bed before falling asleep or while you're doing any number of mundane tasks, tell God, even when I mess up, you still love me. Even when I am in pain still love me. Even when I don't read my Bible, you still love me. Even when I feel alone, you still love me. God's love for us is unconditional. It never changes based on our circumstances or our actions. It is abundant. It never reaches an end. And it is perfect. It's not a shallow, manipulative, or toxic love. It is a powerful, selfless, healing love that we have complete access to through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. God has a deep, deep longing for you to not only intellectually know that he loves you, but to believe it and experience it in every moment of your life. He desires for us to remain in his love, to literally live in it and operate through it. It's not enough 
to simply understand that theoretically God loves us. We must come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. When we do that, it can radically change our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with each other. So as we get ready to close, I just invite you to get comfortable. Uh, Go ahead and close your eyes, if you will, and take some deep, centering breaths. As you breathe, I just want you to draw your attention to God's real, tangible presence in this room right now. as you sit with your eyes closed, I'm going to read something over you, and I invite you to let the words soak into you. Ask God to bring out and highlight one specific word or phrase that he wants you to know and experience right now. God God is kind. God is not envious or egotistical. He is not arrogant. He is not rude. God does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable. He is not resentful. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. God always gives the benefit of the doubt. God bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's love never ends. Heavenly Father, as we move into the next section of our service today, I pray that that you would impress this truth onto our hearts this morning. That you would allow us to not only truly know and believe, but also to experience and feel your vast love for us. I thank you that your love is perfect. I thank you that your love is safe. And I thank you that your love never ends. All this we pray.